very much a man who keeps his promises. I promise you two podcast episodes this week, and that's exactly what you're going to get. Welcome back to the Andrew Steele podcast. I'm really, really pumped for this one this week. Um, episode nine with my good friend Stefan Rosner, who has just taken on the role of New York Islanders beat writer for the Hockey News. It, that's massive for him, and you know, there's there's no one who worked harder in the industry than Stefan. And this was just such a fun episode to do. We're, we're good friends. We go way back, as you'll hear on the podcast. And we talked for just under two hours. So this is by far the longest episode we've done yet. And I'm just going to let it flow. You know, we, we talked about everything. We, we did a lot of Islanders talk. We talked about coming up for the industry together, what it takes to kind of break in. We talked about Stefan's idols growing up and what inspired him to get into hockey Talk baseball, Derek Jeter, all sorts, loads of randomness in between. We 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 honestly, when we get together, we can just talk for days. And funny enough, we talked for probably half an hour before we we started recording, and we talked for like another half an hour after we started recording. So, yeah, I'm really pumped for you to to listen to this one. And it's it's been a long time coming. Stefan was actually meant to be guest one on the Andrew Steele podcast. We had it all recorded which was an adventure in itself because I forgot to press record on the first try. Um, and then there was some delay my end in terms of getting the website launched. And by the time we did, everything we talked about was was completely out of date. And obviously it's been a really busy time in Stefan's life. So we finally got him on uh, and I'm absolutely delighted with this one. I think you're going to really enjoy it. And for me, I, I listen to podcasts nonstop. I, it's the media, the medium I listen to the most. And I love podcasts if I go out running or on a long walk that last a couple of hours so that I can just listen to for the duration of why I'm out. So hopefully you can stick this one in the car or if you're doing a workout or even if you're just doing stuff around the house, stick this one on. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it as as much as I enjoyed putting it together. And as I mentioned, there's another podcast episode this week for you to enjoy. Earlier in the week, we recorded with Britt Giroli, who is the senior MLB writer for The Athletic. Absolutely pumped to get her on. She's she's a big, big guest. She came on to talk about the World Baseball Classic, that thrilling ending, and we did some Mets Yankees talk ahead of opening day, which is less than a week away now. So there's two podcast episodes for you to enjoy this week. As always, there's plenty of content for you to enjoy on blogsofsteel.substack.com and there's more on that coming as well. We're, we're getting a load of features out and pumping content out. So please visit, um, please support. This This is my full-time gig, so I'm powered by you, I'm supported by you. Uh, I'm not doing anything else and, and all I do is, is put content out for you. We currently got a 25% off sale. So if you buy a yearly subscription now, you'll get 25% off for the year. And again, I, I couldn't do this without you. So please, you know, if you if you subscribe and, and you can become a paid subscriber, please do. If you do now, you'll get 25% off. If you can't, that's fine. But just, you know, spreading the word and, and sharing what we do would be massively helpful as well. So thank you again for supporting us. It's been a, a great start to the journey so far, but there's there's so much more to come. And uh, without further ado, let me hand you over to my chat with uh, Stefan Rosner. A 
good friend of mine on the show today, Stefan Rosner, and he is very much the man in the moment because he just landed himself a very exciting new gig. Uh, Stefan, how are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Now, uh, obviously, we, we talked earlier this week, and uh, you've just gone and got yourself a very exciting new job. Tell us what that is and, and how it came about. Yeah, so I'm um, joining the Hockey News, uh, working alongside the legend, the Maven, uh, Stan Fisher. I couldn't be more excited to get going. We're already launched. The site is up, and uh, it's awesome. I mean, I have to give credit to uh, National Hockey Now. I was at NY Hockey Now for a year and a half, learned a lot, was on the beat. It was an amazing experience, but I'm really excited to take take my work to the next level, and it's the Hockey News. I mean, we all... If you're a hockey fan, the hockey news has been around since forever, especially for me, obviously it's been around since I was alive. So, um, but no, it's a cool, great experience run by great people. And yeah, the Islanders are in the midst of a playoff push here. So that makes it even more exciting. And it's the Holy Trinity, right? You're covering a team you care about. You're doing it for a brand in the hockey news who are also attached to Sports Illustrated now. So that's like a double whammy. And as you said, you are working with a legend that is Stan Fisher. So it can't get any better than that, right? Yeah. And he's, I mean, listen, if, if I could, you could tell me at 91 years old or turning 91, that I'd still be on the beat writing every day. I mean, this guy, Stan, first off lives in Israel. So it's a, I think it's a six hour time difference, six hours later. So just the fact that he's still going is, is incredible. And I, I can't wait to learn as much as I possibly can before he hangs it up, but who knows, maybe he'll never hang it up. It's Stan Fisher. He'll be doing this until it, until it ends. So. Yeah. Stan to me kind of resembles the sport he covers. You know, like hockey players will carry on even if they've blown a knee or half their, their teeth are hanging out. He'll, I think he'll just carry on until forever. I, I, then, I think he'll just keep on going. And the stories, he, I mean, he, the stuff that he's covered, the story he has, and we're going to start a segment um, over at the Hockey News, a weekly segment, a weekly thing where he just tells stories. And for fans that, for myself, people that weren't alive during the dynasty days, Yes, there's video, but we don't really get the ins and the outs of what the locker room was like, what the parades were like, the one-on-one conversations, and Stan doesn't forget a thing. So that'll be a really cool thing to keep an eye on for, because again, just his wealth of knowledge about the history of the team. I mean, again, for for when I was growing up, or people that were born in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was about 10 to 15 years where it was tough. You know, the Islanders were not a good team. Yes, there were players you fell in love with and people that, you know, players that people emulated or wanted to be like growing up. And, you know, you had Tavares here, the first superstar in our, in our lifetime to really join the team. But you had pieces like Kyle Poso and Franz Nielsen, but you know, the bossies, the Trotty, all those guys, you know, I'd have never heard them really talk unless it's been alumni events, but sadly a couple of them passed away last year and it was tough, but you know, Stan's just Stan, you can live through Stan and, and Stan remembers every detail. And so that's going to be exciting. It's so funny. I was um I've only just discovered that Disney Plus carries ESPN documentaries like, you know, the the thirties for thirty and the Derek Jeter. So I've gone down a complete rabbit hole and I was watching <laughs> I was watching um Big Shot. Yeah. The the obviously the documentary about John Stain Stainos, is it? Stanos. Yeah. Um obviously the the you know, be completely you know, managed to fraud the NHL into owning a team and um, just oh, a really Span- good... Spanos. Spanos, that's the one. Yeah, I don't know why. I was... Yeah. Um, you, were of, you were thinking of John Stamos from Full House. Yeah. Exactly. See, I've been watching a little bit. I'm getting the Disney stuff all, <laughs> all confused. But um, no, it's a really good documentary by Kevin Connolly, the honorized guy who's obviously... And a, a big, big Islander fan. Huge, huge Islanders fan. Um, 
But it was funny because Stan pops up in that. Oh yeah, that's, that's what you're saying. It's that he's you know he's got so many stories. So make sure he tells one of those stories because I think he's probably got a, a a bit of inside knowledge about that because that was that was just a wild time. But um, no, I'm just I'm I'm pumped for you because for those um, listening to this who may not know, we we go way back um, when I was the site editor at Puck Pros, which is part of the fan sided network. I was looking to build a trusted team of writers and, and a young guy by the name of uh, Stefan Rosner came, came across and um, you became my, my go-to guy. And you were, you were like my, um, I feel bad saying this because he's just, Padawan. that because we're both Star Wars fans. I was going to say you were like my Edwin Diaz, my star closer, but he's just gone down injured for the year. So <laughs> yes. I don't know if that's good or bad, but you were like, you know, you were, my uh, Mariano Riviera, you were my my go to guy in the in the ninth inning. Um, I appreciate it, but it's it's crazy to kind of like look back on that on that period and like in terms of like where where you are now and the the kind of hustle that we both had to put in because anyone who like fans I did is great and it and it it's played a huge part in like both our careers. But I think you you're you'll know this as well. It's tough because the, the financial rewards aren't great. Um, and I think it probably gets a bad press because it's called fan-sided. So it doesn't get taken as serious as it maybe should because um, Matt Verdam, who I've had on the podcast a couple of times, he now works with Sports Illustrated. He was the the senior NFL guy for fan-sided and built the chief site and uh, founded the Stat the Box podcast so there was actually there's really really good journalists that fans I did but I think sometimes it just it doesn't get the rep it deserves but that was a hustle we we worked our asses off right oh yeah I mean and too like nothing no disrespect to fans at all I mean there's limited jobs in the sport in general especially hockey but every sport to cover a team especially being credentialed and that fans had gave us a way in to learn the craft I learned a lot from you obviously and um learn the craft hustle again if you're if you're not willing to hustle you're not making it in this industry and even people that do hustle as sad as it is like you could do everything right and still not make it and i'm not yeah. saying sitting here saying i made it because i'm at the hockey news not at all and the hustle certainly doesn't stop but it gets to a point where it's like any player growing up if you want to be if you, every kid little kid's being that likes hockey they want to be in the nhl but it gets to a time in your life when okay should i go on the ice after school or go hang out with my friends and there's a lot of people, more than probably 90% of young players that go and hang out with their friends. But when you have guys like the Connor McDavid's of the world, who are not only on the ice right after school, but they wake up before school, they're on the ice. And they're, you know, there's a part where you have to realize, okay, I'm either going to sacrifice a lot to make it, or I'm not. And it got to a point where for me in college, where I discovered, you know, I want to do this. Uh, you know, I'm not saying I didn't go out and party at school. I surely, surely did. <laughs> But, you know, if the Islanders were playing on a night and there was a party happening, I pretty much not getting paid to do anything. But for my brand, I stayed in. I watched the games. I wrote about it. And, um, you know, again, there's some people that wouldn't have done that. And I'm happy that I did because it paid off. But you got to sacrifice a lot. You know, you might miss a family event because you're at a game or birthday parties or if you're a relationship, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. Obviously, you need clear communication about what you're doing. And I'm fortunate to have an amazing girlfriend who really understands what I'm doing. And um, she's willing to be patient again, because it's, it's a lot. 
it's a lot of time and effort and whether maybe if they're on the West coast, you're up until one thirty two in the morning, just watching, then you got to write. So a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hard work that doesn't stop. But if you really are want to go into this field, you got to go a hundred percent. Cause if you're going 99% in, there's someone that's going over a hundred percent who will get those chances because they're willing to put that extra one or 2% into it. Yeah. The thing at Puck Price as well, like especially running the site was that it was a full-time job, you know, and even though it, it, it didn't pay like a full-time job, I still treated it like that because it was a means to an end in terms of, you know, building a portfolio, getting your name out there, all that stuff. But as you said, it was constantly because it was the flagship NHL site for the network. It was, you had to be on every single day because it's not like you're covering one team and that team may have an off day. You're covering an entire league. So every single day there's a million things going on. And like when it was free agency and the trade deadline, you'd literally be at a laptop for 20 hours a day. You know, that, that, that was the cool thing because, you know, I had a chance where I could have covered the fan-sided Islanders site, um, or I could have covered puck pros. And to myself, I thought, you know what? Having on my resume covering the whole NHL definitely helps. Yes, I could still write, and you know it. I wrote for puck pros, and most of my stuff was Islanders-related. But, you know, a major trade happened on trade deadline day. Or I remember one of my first stories for puck pros was Bruce Brujo getting fired in, in yeah. uh, Minnesota. I remember where I was in college. We were about to go out. I don't know what day it was. We were about to go out to the bar. And I was like, oh, can I do this? And I think you or Matt, I think Matt Breach at the time, yeah. um, was like, yeah, you want to do it? Go for it. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I, I sat down and wrote it. But that's not something I would get to do if I was just working for one team. And again, on your resume, you know, you might not get it. I'm very fortunate to be living on Long Island, getting a job covering a local team. Like beyond, I'm never going to take it for granted. But there's a lot of people where, you know, you're living on Long Island, but there's an opening in Carolina. Let me, I have to, again, you're not in, a, you're in an industry where you can't really say no. You have to go to Toronto or California, and that's where the opening job is for an AHL team even. You got to go. Like, you, you don't have a choice here. So I'm very fortunate. But at the same time, you know, writing for Puck Pros, hey, I wrote four or five articles on that team. That, there's a job opening there. I could say, hey, here's my four or five stories on that team, and that paid off. So if you're definitely interested, fan time, it's definitely a good start because no matter if it says fan, you're doing it for your brand and trying to work your way up and understand and all that stuff. So definitely take advantage of any opportunity you can would be my advice. You hit the nail on the head there where you where you said, you know, it's like if you're a hockey player and you, you know, rather than going out your friends, you're at the ring and on the pond. And it, and it's like as a journalist, it's reps. You know, reps is the more important thing. And the more, you know, like you listen to with the combine now in the NFL and, and it's putting things on tape. You, you want to put good things on tape. And it's, you as a journalist, you do that by writing stuff and, and, churning out articles and and you know you you get better with with every rep you do and i think the the biggest thing as well is versatility and i can't preach that enough because but you know for me for my background i'm from england which you know you're from england (laughs) Uh, it's such a shock right crazy i I don't know what gives it away um (laughs) and I, you know, I've been doing this since I was like 15, 16. So I kind of had an established career in England where I got to a certain point and, and people like back home will say to me, well, you know, there, there's people that think I'm stupid because I I probably could have gone on to work in like the Premier League now, given the experience I had. But that's not what I wanted to do. You know, my interest, as you know, lies in American sports, 
but for me, so I've had to start that process again. So the way I look at it is I've, I've almost got two careers. I've got the career in England, but then I've now got the career in America because people like in the States don't give a crap about what I've done in England. It, yeah. like, you know, they'll just look at me and say, what the hell soccer? I shouldn't say that now because obviously it's getting but that. I'm not trying to piss on soccer before anyone jumps at me because I know it's getting bigger and bigger. But anyway, um, I'm having to almost kind of like reestablish myself and, and start again. And the biggest thing for me is the versatility, you know, with, with the site that I'm running now, I don't just stick to one thing. You know, you go on there and there's NFL stuff, there's hockey stuff, there's baseball stuff. Um, there is going to be basketball stuff eventually, there's going to be, I'm working on a Pedro Pascal piece, which random, yeah, but you know me, Stefan, I'm as random as they come. Well, Pedro um, Pascal is incredible, so I don't blame you. Yeah, uh, and the guy is on an all-time run, which is what the piece is, but like, I don't think yeah. there's a guy out there that, that is on a bigger and more successful run than he's been on. But I think, as you said, for, for any aspiring journalist listening to this, you, you've got to be able to show that, you know, it's like baseball players, five tools. You've, you've got to be able to show that you can do more than one thing. And, and look, the, the reality is, is you're finding out once you establish yourself and you get into something, you will eventually kind of become like a specialist in one subject. So obviously you're covering the Islanders now, but on your way up, you need to be able to show that you can cover, you know, ice hockey, basketball, football, baseball all that different things you know and, and for us going through this and and the process as aspiring journalists that's key right oh for sure i mean i covered baseball before while i was doing puck pros i did baseball as well i know enough i again too it depends you know you have reporting you have columnists you have you know reporting i'm not going to throw it's not like i'm trying to denounce you know how hard the job is but it's not hard you know reporting it's a, it's an art. I would say, I guess, you know, asking questions, if you ask a yes or no questions, which I learned quickly, if you ask a yes or no question, you're getting a yes or no answer, which doesn't help you at all. So if you figure out how to ask the questions correctly, you know, there's probably guys that get on hockey beats. They don't know much about hockey, but they know a lot about reporting. And if you get the stories out there and you get the right answers to questions, you don't have to be a master at that sport. Same thing for me is like, I know enough about basketball or football. I can't be a columnist probably right now for any of those sports, but if they said, Hey, if a boss said, Hey, we need you at, we need you at jets practice uh, today. Um, and there's an injury, someone gets hurt at practice or they're coming up on a big game. Well, again, the reporting part's not changing. You have to go in there, ask a question about an injury, ask a question about the game coming up. And then in 400, 500 words, what was the injury? What they say, I mean, again, like that columnists are different where you got to really understand what sport you're covering, the ins and outs of it. And that's, again, not saying I couldn't do that, but at the same time, like you said, is, you know, practice reporting because they might, you know, they might need someone on the spot and they say, hey, Stefan, do you know, could you cover just the practice today? Yeah, I can do that. Oh, do you have any experience like reporting? Because that's what we need. We just need a reporter to go out there. Yeah, that's what I do. Um, I do hockey, but reporting is reporting. And once they realize that and, you know, get an opportunity to do that, they go, okay, now we know Steph, like, let's say they like what you did. Okay. We know Stefan, if we needed Stefan to cover a practice for whatever team our network does, we could trust that he's going to do it. And that same thing, you know, again, we, both of us know a lot about one, you know, you're a big Rangers guy. You could be a columnist covering the Rangers. Like you could do that. Yeah. 
Um, but if they said, Hey, uh, we need you on a basketball practice. Can you go and run practice? They know that they could trust you to do that. So again, it's also building your brand, building trust. You know, I never begged people on Twitter to follow me. I never, but it got to a point where I was working my way up where people looked at you and said, okay, he's reliable. Again, I don't have to know much about hockey to go to practice and discuss with players with, with practice. Yes, obviously you got to help, you know, behind the scenes stuff, what's going on. It helps with your writing and it makes it better. But at the pinch, if someone needs a hockey reporter and you show that, hey, I've written for these sites, I've done this. Maybe I didn't do hockey, but I did basketball, baseball, football. There's trust there and credibility there. It's probably why you have the job to begin with. Yeah, and it's like, so I'm, I'm lucky enough to still be doing a lot of stuff for Mets Mesmerized, Mets fans yeah. check it out. And so on the like Saturdays, I, I'm the editor. So I kind of like run the site and in charge of the content. And there was a lot of like kind of breaking news stuff. Um, I did it on the Thursday as well. We had like the Edmund Diaz injury and then, then the Brandon Nimmo injury. And those kind of news pieces are great because you like with the AP style, that is the bedrock of what whether you whether you're doing whether you're on the ice hockey beat as you say if you're going to practice and someone gets injured in practice you're writing in the exact same style and the same structure yeah football basketball if you're a political reporter um which is on my bucket list i would love to do like cover a presidential i would just love to do like a presidential like not forever i would just love to do like a four-year presidential run from start to finish just because it fascinates you. It's like a sport, American yeah. politics. But, yeah, um, American politics is, uh, I try to stay out of it just because I don't know enough to get involved. I, and I, I do the just, same. It's just, first off, my head, I, I can't focus on too much. My head is on hockey, Islanders, you know, family, obviously girlfriend, but like after that, there's just, doesn't you know, it's so hard to trust anything about news. And again, it's just too much. I don't have, I don't have time to be thinking about that stuff. I gotta, I gotta be a practice, gotta be at hockey focus on that in the off season maybe i'll think more about it while i'm watching the yankees and and baseball because you have a little bit of downtime even though the game should be a little shorter now with the pitch clock but yeah that's just too much so credit to you if you want to go and tackle that that's that's all you well it's one of those like i love consuming it like i have cnn cnn on constantly uh like i love reading the new york times the washington post and things like that i'll probably get attacked for that you know once this goes up anyway but <laughs> The the one rule I've got on like my about page on the website is I will not talk politics because it's such a There's um, no point. The, because whatever you say people are gonna so I'm just like I'll I'll talk about any anything else, I'll talk about the most random crap going, but for now we'll leave politics until maybe I get to a position where I can I can do it for you. One um one thing before we move on and talk, and talk hockey, and I actually want to talk to you just about your influences growing up before we do, but yeah. just one more thing on this. I think as well, like, and you'll you agree with this, I'm sure, I think the biggest thing, like the biggest advice we could probably both give journalists trying to break in is if you've got like a, a passion about any sport or sports in general, just like literally set up a blog and just write every day because like, you look at some of the biggest names in the sports market now, like um, Jared Karibas, who like, I know he has his fair share of detractors, but like, he's probably like the most well-known media personality in baseball. Like he's everywhere. The Red Sox have him at Fenway throwing out first pitches. If you look at his, like his origin story, he literally just set up a blog right about the Red Sox. And he, he hustled 
like the only reason he is where he is now, or two reasons, he's talented, but like he hustled. Like he hasn't got to this point without that that hard work. So I, I think that that's probably the biggest thing, isn't it, in terms of if you've got a passion and you've got an idea, just literally write and write every single day, even if it's one piece a day. And podcasts. And, yeah. <laughs> it's so easy just to record. I mean, everybody has iPhones now that have, you can record yourself. It doesn't have to be a whole podcast. React to news, 30 seconds, a minute, just give me Yeah, like case. emergency pods. And like, I'm the biggest dumbass going. I, I'm, I'm fine. If I can edit a podcast and put a full episode together and make it sound half decent with production and, and some decent music, Anyone and click record. It. I mean, it's not hard to click record, right? So no. You know. So you know, we won't we won't go into the. Well, I actually, you you raise a very good point. I knew you were going to do this. <laughs> I think it, there's a term we like to use in the business called lifting up the curtain. Yeah. Let's do that because this this is what the third time we've tried to do this. No, it's all good. Yeah, I mean, it it happens. Uh, I've done it actually. I was in the Islanders' room. I'm forgetting when, and I went up to talk to someone and just forgot to click record and it was a great conversation i go back home and i'm getting ready to write um my story for the day i'm like where, where is this like where'd it go and i'm thinking oh my god i didn't click record and uh fortunately if it was more than one people in the scrum we have such a great relationship the whole entire islanders beat where i could just say hey do you mind if you send it obviously they're not going to send a one-on-one and if it was a one-on-one i would have i don't remember if it was but that hurts because no one else has it and then, yeah, you go back the next day and say, hey, I forgot to record. They're, they're easy and honest, but it happens to the best of us. Yeah, so the first time we sat down to do this, we had to do it in two parts. And then the second part, I didn't <laughs> press record. And then I think we had to go do it again. And then something came up my end where I had to push back the launch of the site. So originally, you were going to be the, the inaugural guest. Well, I appreciate the... Uh, that, we got there it, eventually. <laughs> It's all good. Things happen. I'm glad that, you know, we can make this work. So let's, let's talk hockey, right? Yeah. Whatever so, you wanted to get into next. So just quickly before we, cause there's a lot of hockey stuff that we've got yeah. to get into. Um, and me and you can talk hockey for literally days, <laughs> but one last thing on your new gig, I just wanted to know, I'm really interested, especially working with someone like Stan, what, and I read your introduction article, what yeah. were your like early hockey influences growing up and and what were the players that you idolized growing up and, and a kind of a big reason why you're here? Yeah. So when I got into hockey, I was strictly a goaltender. I, I remember playing with my friend one day. I never played hockey before. He's like, Hey, do you want to, you want to play some hockey? I'm like, Adam, sure. I don't know. I don't know what that sport is. I didn't really watch much. I was probably six or seven at the time. And uh, we tried to, I couldn't shoot. I was terrible at that, but they gave me a, a baseball glove and a catcher's helmet and a pads. And he said, you want to play goalie? And from that moment on, just fell in love, got obsessed with it. I loved watching goalies, you know, during warmups. I just watched the goalie, the motions, the, the computer, it, they look like computers with everything calculated. And um, obviously he had Martin Berdour growing up, but my guy was Jonathan Quick. I just, the way he moves and I'm, I'm great to see him now having success in Vegas too. I watching him yeah. leave LA was kind of tough for me. Just again, I wear 32 because of him still. And just, just the motions, the movement that you could tell how dedicated he was to the craft. Now, Burdor again, Burdor is Burdor. He's awesome. But just, yeah, something about Jonathan quick really caught my eyes. And you see a lot of goalies, not as low as he is, but when he's down on his knees, moving around, looking around, it's just, it's like art and just goaltending in general, the wicked glove saves. Uh, I mean, getting to watch Sorokin now is like, 
I can't even put it into work. It's, it's kind of beautiful. I guess that's the way to look at it. The save the other day, the save he made with the paddle. I, it's just, it's, it's crazy what these guys are able to do, especially with how the sports evolved, the goaltending position, especially when you're talking about in the eighties where, you know, goalies, there was no art to goaltending. It was just stop the puck. <laughs> Here you go. Stop whatever you have to do to stop it. And now it's, you know, going through goalie coaches of my own, just how much has gone into that position and the and development of, how hard now it is to beat NHL goaltenders when back in the day, I'm not taking anything away from those guys. Those guys were first off brave for getting in front of pucks like that, especially when they didn't have helmets on and stuff like that. Crazy, but it's just such a cool position and, and the future and where that position is going to go. And just, it, it's honestly, it's awesome to see the development of it, but also the time and effort that goes into these guys, their, their preparation, the off ice work. Um, it's just really cool. So yeah, Jonathan quick was my, I had going up Zach Parise, who I get to cover now was my player that I watched around the league, just because not a big guy. I was not a big guy. I started, I started my um, high school year. I started, we started high school in ninth grade here and um, I was four foot five. I was small. I, um, I had to go through a lot. I did human growth hormones at a young age because the doctor said I would only be four eleven. Um, I didn't want that. Uh, I'm five, nine now. It, it's been awesome that that actually worked. But uh, I was a guy playing hockey in every sport where I was looked, I was looked at as not going to compare it to like you coming, you covering American sports, you're going to get a, a, well, he's British. What does he know? Yeah. Uh, that's probably what sure. you've got. And then something you have to go through. And for me, it was, I, you know, I played soccer. I played hockey, t- any sport. I played baseball. It was this kid's too small. He can't do it. And so growing up, that was tough, but I was, I felt when I played sports, especially hockey, when I was in goal, all that outside, you know, I, I was small. I got bullied for it. It happens. But, um, you know, I was in between the pipes and my folk, that all didn't matter. It was, I'm going to stop a puck. That's like nothing else matters. And to this day when I'm in goal, whatever's happening in life, like I'm in goal. Um, and so Zach Parise, although he wasn't a goalie, it was, this guy's not a big guy, but this guy works so hard every shift, every night at practice. And for me, it was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm not going to care about what anyone's telling me. I'm undersized. Sure. I know I'm good. I know I can be good. And I, you know, I tried out for my JV ice hockey team. Oh, excuse me. I didn't try out. I talked to the coach with my dad and his words. I'll never forget these words. I don't remember his name, but I'll never forget this. He said, we appreciate your, your interest, but we're not looking for small goalies. And that crushed me, but I had two choices there. One quit or two, tell him to go F off and just grind more. Yeah. And um, I tried out for varsity instead. My freshman year didn't make it. Tried out for varsity again the next year, didn't make it. But I worked with a goalie coach, shout out to Chris Testa, who, who showed me that I could be small and still be effective. And I worked before school. We talked about before in McDavid is I, I would go to on the ice at 5 a.m. Before, before high school started, shower at the rink, go to school, then go to practice. And my junior year, I made the team. And my senior year, I made the team. And it showed me that like, Hey, you know, you can do the same with the writing. You know, I pride myself on, maybe I don't know as much as everyone else, but there's a lot of Islander diehard fans that know much more about the sport than I'll ever know, but I work my tail off and clearly it it paid off, but now getting to cover Zach, someone that I looked up to, to that level where it was like, look at what he's doing. I could, in anything I do, I could do that. I wasn't the smartest in school. You know, my brother, I'm a twin guy was an absolute genius. He didn't have to study. He got hundreds on everything. When I was working my tail off to get a 90, um, you know, I just, 
watching Zach, now getting to cover Zach and see this guy does not take a practice off, does not take a shift off at practice, always talks to the media. It's, it's humbling. You know, I never would have thought 10 years ago when I was watching Zach that, hey, one day you get to cover him. So I think it's just, it's definitely a humbling experience, but these athletes, you know, they don't know that. And maybe one day I'll have the chance before Zach hangs it up to tell him how much, you know, he did impact me. But, you know, like you talk about it, there's, you got to look up to people. I think everybody looks True. up to someone. And, you know, there's writers that I've looked up to, Andrew Gross, Brian Compton, Kevin, you know, anyone that's on the Islanders beat right now, I've looked up to them. Um, and they've been amazing people. But, you know, athletes, you could look at an athlete and how they work and use it to every aspect of your life. And that's what I tried to do with Zach. You know, even when the Islanders were, you know, they were saying the Islanders might move. A couple of years, I guess not a couple anymore, but you know, they might move because they had no new home. And I was like, you know what? If they move, I'll go root for Zach Parise. I don't care. I love Zach. And when Zach got traded to the Minnesota Wild, I remember I started watching a lot of wild hockey. You know, I just wanted to root for him. That's one of those guys where it's easy to root for. Uh, same guy that people look at Martin St. Louis. This guy undrafted. Oh, I, love, I love that guy. Undrafted you know, makes it to the NHL. Nowadays, you're, you're very rarely going to ever see that. Not because the player is not good. He'll just never get a shot. And so guys like that, I'm so happy to see that he's coaching now. And, you know, that magical moment when he was with the Rangers where he scored on, I think it was it Mother's Day after his yeah. mom passed away. Like, it's just crazy. The power of sports and just, I mean, Martin St. Louis probably never gave up on himself and he made it to where he is. And he's what, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, he's tiny. Um, so it's cool to see guys like that succeed. And again, it just goes back to just players that work hard. You know, is Zach Parise a Hall of Famer? He teeters. I don't think so. USA Hockey Hall of Famer, for sure. One of the better uh, USA players to ever play. But just overall, a really good hockey player for his whole career. And like, if I go through the writing gig and I, you know, I don't need to be an all-star superstar writer. I just want to be known as a guy that was really good at his job. And that's what I'm, you know, trying to do. Yeah, no, I, I think that's it. Like Marty St. Louis and there's a dozen guys. I'm, I'm the same, you know, if I can just go through and, and, and be solid and, and, and put up decent numbers. And I think, I think that should be the aim and anything else is a bonus. It's, and you look at some of these guys and, and, and what they put in. And it's so funny as well. You're talking about, Jonathan Quick, like you go watch like peak Jonathan Quick. Oh my like, god, he, he redefined absurd. the position. Uh, it was just you know, there's one thing about butterfly. Again, I was not big, so me going down was a terrible idea because I just let first off standing up, I have the whole top of the net going down. But what I focused on with Quick was just his movements while the puck like down low in tight, and I became again I was small, but I was really quick and very flexible. So I knew that once I went down, I could not do what Quick's doing because obviously it's at the NHL level, but if I could get the motions down pat, the way he's able to see through screens and move the legs, and that's where I focused on and that's where I excelled. And as I got taller, thankfully, you know, I developed the top half of my game, but right now I still play three times a week when I can. Obviously being on the beat has limited my playing time, but that's where I shine. I shine down low. I shine on breakaways with deeks and stuff because I can move. And that's all from just watching Quick work. And you have guys like Jonathan Gibson, who reminds me of Quick a little bit, just with his, his Sorokin, just those motions down low. I mean, I'm not saying Sorokin watched Quick, and I'm not saying Gibson watched Quick, but it's guys like Quick who showed that, you know, yes, everyone's going to try to shoot high, but you have to have a, if you're not good down low as a goalie, that's equally as 
detrimental to you. So I'm I'm a huge Mets fan, as you know. Yeah. But I've always been like a, a massive Derek Jeter guy, which I know some Mets fans think is a cardinal sin. But yeah. I like I'm like you. I, like I have specific teams, but I also root for the sport. Yeah. I root for the players, and I think especially like when you do what we do, it comes yeah. easier to because like you you don't necessarily want to root against anyone. It becomes easier to root for the kind of storyline in the moment. So there's a lot of teams that I and players I pay attention to, but I've always been a massive Jeter guy. Like absolutely, like love him, being obsessed with him. And I remember, like in like being in New York when the captain premiered in the summer. Yeah, and like I made, like I remember the first. It, it was July 18th. Like I can remember it off the top of my head. It was the first episode. And I made no, I made sure I had no plans. I wanted to stay in and watch it. And like I've watched that series probably six, seven times all the way through since because yeah. like he's an absolute superstar and it and it shocks me to this day that there's people out there that question his ability as a shortstop. Like he was a an elite shortstop. Like and again it goes back to work ethic. Was he the best shortstop at his time in the sport defensively? No. Was he the best offense? No. But this is a guy that got drafted who had a terrible um, in the minors was awful field. Yeah. It was terrible. And he said, I remember, I don't know if he talked about it on the captain, he probably did, but he's talked about it every interview. It's like, he went home and cried. He didn't think he could do it, but then it kicks in where, okay, but Jeter worked his tail off. He got oh. better defensively. He had the Jeter throw and he became a, you know, he's a hitter that we need more of in this day where you take the pitch wherever it comes. Like he always went to right field. Judge does that a lot now too, where he can line the ball at right field. And we don't have a lot of hitters like that in, in today's sport, which is more so to just there's money in hitting home runs. And that's about it. If you can hit home runs, you'll make money. Yeah. Um, except for a guy like, you know, Brendan Nimmo, another guy who could hit to all fields, but just the way Jeter went about it, the work ethic, that's the biggest thing with, with these kinds of players is it's work at, again, back to Zach Parise, not the most talented goal scorer, but he worked his tail off and that earns you opportunities and respect, and Jeter worked on his craft. Again, probably one of those guys that didn't go out, stayed in and worked on his craft. And he became a respectable defensive guy. And he was known for his bat, obviously, but it wasn't like Jeter, the ball hit to Jeter, it was a 50-50 chance he was making the play. He's making the play 90% of the time. He doesn't have the range, though. He's not gonna, maybe he won't get his glove on certain balls that other players will get to, but he got his glove on a ball. He was making – like, it wasn't like, oh – Let's see if this throws online. Like, no, the throw was going to be online. Again, not the hardest throw, but accurate every time. And so, again, just guys like that, you have a lot of respect for it. Which, again, people aren't going to respect him because he's a Yankee and everyone hates the Yankees. And, he, again, because he wasn't the greatest shortstop ever at his time. But, man, if you watch – I'm like, I grew up – I was born in 1998. So, I missed a couple of the first World Series, and I didn't really watch the early ones in the 2000. Yeah. But, like, 2000 was nine was really my first time watching – a world series that the Yankees were in. And I'll never forget. I mean, like, again, this wasn't prime Jeter, but Jeter was the captain, the sure clear, obviously captain in his thirties. And it, it was just a time where you had so much respect for the guy. Again, he had already won, but it didn't matter. Like it didn't matter at all to him. He wanted to go out there and win and give the Yankees a chance. Every game, he's still the leadoff guy. And it was just, it was cool because as much as I wanted to see him come up and it would probably would have been a similar situation like Parise for me, watching this guy come up, everyone telling him how bad he is and how, you know, he can't do it to being the shortstop of the Yankees and having the hall of fame career that he did and hitting his 3000 hit was a home run. 
Oh, David Price. I remember watching that game live. I mean, it's just, it's incredibly cool. And I guess we, we don't, we, I feel like we take for granted with, with players like right now and a guy like McDavid is, um, you know, when you have raw talent like that, you don't really have to put in as much work, but he does. Yeah. You could see the way like he does. He's not satisfied. And it's just, again, does he have to work as hard as a guy like a Zach Parise who doesn't have that skill? Like no one has that skill that McDavid has. It, like it's very possible McDavid grew up and dominated and he didn't work hard. And if he came to the NHL, maybe he doesn't have success because he hasn't put in the extra work. But you could tell that he does. I mean, the guy putting on video game numbers every single night, the, no one can catch him. No one can. He's got hands. He's got a shot. He's got the pat. He's a five tool, like you said, making yourself versatile. He's a five tool player. Well, I wanted to, um, I'm going to touch on McDavid as we get towards the end of this. Yeah. Um, but before we, because there's probably Islanders fans out there that are begging for us to to stick to hockey. But before we do, just the last thing on like with, with Jeter, as you said, like he worked his ass off. Like, and I'm reading David Wright's book. Like David Wright's another Same one. Thing. Like the, he was the sex same makeup. And there's a few chapters in his book that are like dedicated to trying to like follow what Jeter did and, and follow him around. And, and the fact that he just had the same routine, worked his ass off. But the thing with Jeter as well, like, he spoke it into existence. As you said, he, he said like, as soon as he could talk, he was going to be the shortstop of the Yankee. Yeah. And he didn't give a fuck who told him that he couldn't do it. He just told him, like he said in the documentary, like who the fuck are you to tell me what I can and can't do. And like, no matter how many setbacks he had and he, he sucked, as you said, like in the minors, he really struck like sucked and maybe strong, but he struggled defensively. Um, but he, he, was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to be the shortstop of the Yankees. And he just spoke into an existence. And he's an absolute rock star. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to admit I'm obsessed with the guy. Um, before I get a stalker thing put on me or whatever you call it from Jesus <laughs> Camp, let's, um, let's talk hockey because you are our Islanders <laughs> expert. You are the guy I go to. So it's, it's so funny. Like we said, when we, when we tried to do this before, the Irons are like a completely different position now. Yeah. So they're seven, two and one in their last 10. They've won three straight. You know, they, they very much control their own destiny. They, they hold the first wild card spot in the East two points clear of the pens. Obviously the, you know, the pens aren't going away. Uh, 10 left to play. What, what do you think of the Islanders chances? You know, where, where do they stand? How do you see this playing out? Yeah. I mean, you look at their schedule coming up. It's not, completely easy there's easy games coming up or you do have to beat the columbus blue jackets on friday you play buffalo on saturday that's a team that seems like they're not invested anymore that they're done um and then you but then you face some tough teams you play you know you play tampa you play washington twice you play the devils so this is i think the islanders will make the playoffs i don't know if it'll be as a number one wild card spot or the number two i think everyone would love to avoid boston and play carolina or the devils depending on how who finishes the top of the metro but you like, again, like you said, the Islanders are in control of their own destiny. Now, I don't remember if it was last time we talked, but over the recent past, it was okay. The Islanders are in a playoff spot, but they've played so many more games than everyone else. They can't keep up. Like the games in hand will come back to bite them. And as we sit here with 10 games left, yes, the Penguins have a game in hand. The Panthers have a game in hand. Um, but the Capitals who had a handful of games in hand. They've caught up in games in hand or not in the play. They didn't take the mo- make the most of it. The Buffalo Sabres, who have two games in hand, had the chance to really catch the Islanders. They didn't make the most of it. The Ottawa Senators, same thing. The Islanders do what they had to do. Like you said, pretty good over their last 10 games. And again, they're doing this without Matthew Barzell. 
um, kind of crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. So you lose a player like that. You think everything's going to go to, you know, go to shit there, but no, it, it's, they've found a way they're back to playing trot style, which I think, you know, you got to give Lambert credit first year head coach had to deal with a lot, had to deal with a roster that maybe wasn't on paper. It, it didn't improve from last year, really. And last year was a struggle with, we talked about for days, what happened last year, but at the end of the day, the Islanders weren't good enough when they had to be, you know, you could say COVID impact them. Sure. They blew leads. They didn't score. They didn't play good defense. Their goaltending wasn't amazing all the time. Uh, Trotz made his mistake. So at the end of the day, you know, they didn't make the playoffs, but it wasn't like that gets them off the hook. They weren't good. And this year for a large stretch of the season, consistency was not a thing. They couldn't play strong defensively. They couldn't score goals. At times the goaltending was tough. Lambert made his mistakes, but since the all-star break, getting Horvat has really helped despite his lack of goal production. Um, it, he's changed everything. And Lambert's realized, listen, without Barzal, you know, that East-West style, we, we can't play that. We don't have our best East-West player. So what we have to do, we have to focus on playing structured defensively. We got to make the most of our opportunities. You look back at the game against Toronto. I feel like all the Islanders' seven goals came off mistakes from Toronto. You know, the Islanders, I talked to Lambert today about this. I asked him about the, just the forechecking of this team, which is their bread and butter, despite defense and goaltending. They produce because they forecheck hard. They disallow top players like Matthews and Martin to get up the rink. Um, as that game went on, they got stronger in that department. They scored a couple of goals right off mistakes from Toronto in their own zone. And timely goals. They got great goaltending. Their defense showed up. So this is an Islanders team that if they do make the playoffs, I'm not going to say when, because we'll, we'll see what happens. They should. I don't think anyone wants to face them. For some reason, they just know how to play in the postseason. I'm not saying they're going to go and sweep Boston or they're going to even get out of the first round. But there are, you look at the Penguins, you know, they have no goaltending. Their defense, that's an, a team that's, you know, should have done what the Washington Capitals did, in my opinion. I know why they didn't, but they should have sold. Yes, they have Ovechkin, but they knew, like, you listen, we can't afford to lose players at free agency for nothing. Or Lava wasn't going to resign. Um, players like that, Hathaway wasn't, you know, get rid of them. And they did. But the Penguins, they bought. And um, they did sell a couple pieces, but they brought in pieces. And, you know, they're probably, I would think, but it's between them and Florida to make it. I think it's a three-headed race here going in for those final two spots. But even the Panthers, too, like, they should have a much better season. And they didn't. And their goaltending had been questionable, despite how good Bobrovsky has been. But you look at this Islanders team, and things are clicking at the right time. Brock Nelson not missing any games due to his injury, being able to be at the practice ice after taking a hit from behind. Critical. He's their best player, their leading goal scorer, does so much for them. Yeah, so right now the Islanders are playing the way I have to play. They have to continue it for sure. But, yeah, I think I think they make it. And, you know, it's cup or bust, but at the same time with what's gone on with injuries this year, to them to make the playoffs – I don't say it's like, oh, wow, wow, well done, but it's a need. They need it. They need to have player, uh, people in the seats for games at UBS in the, in the postseason. So, yeah, I think they get in. <laughs> to give you a short answer on uh there, they get in. I think, as you said, the, the fact that they were able to go in and absolutely beat up on Toronto without their best offensive player, I think just proves that they're going to be a handful if they get in, no matter yeah. who they play. And I just think, as you said, the, the way they set up their structure, their goaltending – and if they can get Barcel back, obviously I'm going to ask you on him in a, in a minute. But I, I think if they get in, um, and we're going to talk more about just how stupidly stacked that Eastern Conference is, but they're going to be. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they made a run to the Eastern Conference yeah. finals, or, I mean, or even the Stanley Cup final, because I, I think they've got that. That they are. They're pro- if you look at all the all the playoff teams now, they're probably like in the top 
two in terms of being built to succeed in postseason hockey. And you have Sorokin, and you look at the teams that will make the playoffs, and, okay, well, Boston has Olmark, but he's behind a ridiculous defense. Not taking anything away from Olmark. He's probably going to win the Vesna and, and should, but, you know, Sorokin's better than Toronto's goalie. Vasilevsky's been, again, in terms of Vasilevsky's done in the postseason, yes, he's a better goalie than Sorokin. And Vasilevsky hasn't had a great year. I don't know. Maybe Sorokin and Vasilevsky matchup. Sorokin wins that. Carolina, he blew his Carolina's goaltending out of the water. Vanacek's had a great year, but Sorokin's better. So Sturkin struggled. If Sturkin's on his game, him and Sorokin are pretty easy. Penguins, you know, like you look at the Islanders and they have a goalie that could not just steal a game. They have a goalie that could steal a series. Yeah. Now, it only gets you so far. Um, you need goal scorers. And that's what the Islanders have missed on their last two runs to the semifinals is that they need that big goal in a big moment, never got it. So you still need that. But having Sorokin and having a defensive structure that figures it out, it's scary. Again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to face them. You say that you said there about putting pucks in the net, and you know, obviously, got you. You know, goaltending is is great, but if you don't light the lamp at the other end, what does, it doesn't matter a shit, does it? Um, so, what's the status on on Matt Barcel and and because there there seem to be conflicting reports out there at the moment, and there seems to be kind of you know different timelines being floated out. People like to play doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not smart enough, and that's too much school. But uh, when uh, originally after the injury, the Islanders told us that he was out indefinitely. And that's not something you want to hear because that usually means he's done. They start saying he's done for the season without saying it's done. Then it was updated to week to week. Now, as we sit here, he's missed 13 games. He hasn't skated at all. Um. He hasn't been on the ice by himself at all. And uh, we asked Lambert today. He says, I think he's closer, but like, I don't have a status of when he can return. So pretty much no update there. He was at a practice. I want to say a couple of weeks ago watching. Um, he was in baggy sweatpants. So you couldn't tell if, you know, he has a brace on. He probably does. Um, we don't believe he's had surgery. Cause again, if he had surgery, he was probably done for the year and would be walking with a limp and stuff like that. Um, he was not walking with a limp, so that's a positive sign. But the fact that he's not on the ice right now, again, not a doctor, but I think if he's going to come back, it probably won't be until the playoffs. Um, again, just you think that he'd want to skate or be, be skating on his own at this point if he was going to make it back for the final 10 games. But again, we don't know what the injury was. They never told us what – people watch the replay. They could say what they want again, but you're not a doctor. You're not looking at the knee or whatever the injury is exactly. So – We'll see. But as of right now, there's, there's no timeline. We don't know what the injury is. We just know that it is lower body. We know how he got hurt. Craig Smith pinned his right leg against the boards. But besides that, they're not giving us anything. So that's where it's at for that. Let's talk Bo Horvat because you mentioned him already, but I think sometimes as journalists, we can be a little bit lazy and be guilty of jumping yeah. on the, the narrative bandwagon. And I, and I think a lot of the narratives around him at the moment are, well, you know, He's not scoring, but he's never been like, if you look for his career and this is where like, you just have to go and do the research. He's never, he's always been much more than a goal scorer. That's not like his games are two way center that can win face-offs that can do the, the dirty stuff. And I think as you said, that's where he's impacting the unders. And yeah, you know, at some point he's going to have to chip in offensively, particularly if they make the playoffs, because offense becomes more stretched then you need contributions from up and down the lineup but yeah. what he offers all around and what he's going to offer the Islanders for for the eight years it was wasn't it the contract 
it, yeah. you, those intangibles you can't put money on. It's just, it, it's funny. Everyone looks at the stats. I think he's got one goal in his last nine or 10 games. Um, he doesn't have points. And it's, it's, first off, if we only cared about numbers, that's called fantasy hockey. That's not what it's about, especially with the Islanders. They have, so, Pajot is a perfect example. And I compare Pajot and Horvat pretty often because yes, Horvat's more offensive than Pajot. But people wonder, well, you know, Pajot's not having a great year. His point, Pajot plays on the power play and the penalty kill. He's on for every defensive zone faceoff in a critical moment. He wins those faceoffs. I mean, Bo Horvat's at 58.1% faceoff guy. Barzal went down. Pajot went down. Horvat not only was playing the most minutes in that stretch out of anyone on the roster, he was taking those faceoffs. He was winning those faceoffs. You know, the power play before Barzell went down was night and day with him back on. I think he was on for six of the seven power play goals the Islanders scored. Uh, someone just released a stat I wish I could give credit for. I can't remember. But since Horvath's joined the Islanders' penalty kill, he hasn't been on the ice for a goal against. And the penalty – there's a, there one point Insane. where the penalty kill – there was one point when the penalty kill allowed, I think, three straight over a span of two games or whatever. He – like, he does so much – and yes, you're paying him eight and a half going forward. He's having a career year. You need him to score. He's got to be at least a 30, you know, you would think 30 goals. Yeah. But he was never going to do what he's doing in Vancouver. He was never going to be shooting above 20, whatever it was, like some crazy number, 25%. Like this guy is here because he plays a responsible two-way game. He doesn't take penalties. He takes key face-offs. You're talking about having him as your number one center. Brock Nelson, who's my, probably your most important player as your number two center. Pajot as your third line center, who again is Horvat. They do the same things. And then you have Sezikis doing what he does on the fourth line. This fourth line identity line has been back together with Clutterbuck back and they've been pretty good as much as maybe Clutterbuck struggled to get his legs under him. He scored two goals against Toronto, two snipes. They've been really good. And you have Barzal who is a center who struggled now at the wing, which Horvat allowed you to do again, without Hor- I wrote an article about it, but without Horvat, Horvat went from a like key addition at the deadline to saving the Islanders' season. And people don't want to understand that because, well, he's not producing the points. He's got to do that. He's making 8.5 next year. Sure, you're not going to convince these people that that's wrong. And again, like I said, he's got to produce more. But he saved the Islanders' season, and he's been, again, he wants to be here, committed to being here. It's not just about this year for him. And especially if Barzal gets back healthy and they, you know, their chemistry has been great, watch out. You have a, you know, that's a duo. You have no, I mean, this is, the Islanders have not had a dynamic duel since, I don't know, the early 2000s with some guys. Or even you look at the late, like, like Matt Molson and John Tavares. Like, these are – Bo Horvat changes – Bo Horvat makes – increases your window to win because he's signing here at the age of 27. He'll be here for eight years. He's here with Barzal long-term. He's here with Pulak and Pelik. You know, Dobson's young. Romanov's a key piece now showing that he could be this guy. This window is very much – Sorokin still, if you sign him long-term, which they will – like this window is very much not closed and Horvat changed all that. Yeah. I think we've become so kind of brainwashed by the whole analytical takeover. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's taken over every sport now um, that we forget the intangibles and the eye test, which, which is important when reporting and evaluating a player. Obviously Horvat was one of a number of like massive trades. It was a, it, it was a really, I really enjoyed the trade deadline this year. I liked how it was so – I guess you realize too, especially in the East, and you want to talk about this conference and the division, it's teams didn't want to wait. Lamarillo knew that Horvat was not remaining with Canucks, but why get into a bidding war at the deadline when you could get him now 
when you need, first of the Islanders needed help, you know, you're coming into an all-star break where they were, they weren't great. Yeah. They scored some goals late and had a couple of wins at the end, but they had January was a horrific month for them. And they were not looking like a team that could make the playoffs and Lou made a deal that could benefit the Islanders now and in the future. And it was like other teams followed suit. Timo Meyer traded before the deadline, obviously the biggest guy. Um, Patrick Kane traded before the, he was traded before the deadline, right? Yeah. Like on the Tuesday before. Yeah. So I loved it. And even on deadline day, you saw a lot of depth critical, like Pierre Engvall, the Islanders went and got uh, not on the deadline a day before, I think, or two days before he's been a key piece since he's figured it out with New York. So it was awesome to see these trades happen. Cause again, this division is so tight. The devils want to be the top seed. So, you know, they make a big trade. Um, the Rangers got Kane. The Rangers got Tarasenko beforehand. The Islanders made their moves. The Penguins tried to bolster a little bit. Um, the Capitals sold. Like you saw teams doing things early because they had to. It's such a close race that you didn't. If you wait till the deadline day, you're missing out. Well, I think it, it just there was a couple of things. It, it kept the NHL in a conversation for two weeks because for yeah. a two week span there were like at least two free blockbuster deals we made every day. Because I think the NHL where it is sadly like even if it has like free agency, even a day of massive moves isn't enough to give it national headlines. And it, it still struggles. And and I mean, you know, having people like Stephen A. Smith slag the sport off on on a, you know, his national show doesn't help. And, and it kind of, you know, I'm not really impressed with that whole ESPN relationship, but that's a different... It's not, it's not good, yeah. No, I, I think they've... they've I, I miss NBC and I, I think ESPN... I, I find the ESPN game on a Saturday hard to watch. And oh, yeah, we like, don't have to. Yeah, I have my views on that, but we'll keep yeah. it professional. We'll keep, we'll keep we'll we'll keep it professional. The, Moving the, on. Yeah. The, the one thing I will say, you know, the the last Saturday game, they they were cut into commercial, but they kept it on the studio too long, and PK Subban just got his feet on the desk. And well, yeah, I mean, and, and it's like it's. Is I, I think yeah, but as you said, moving on before either of us get ourselves in, in in trouble. But I think as well the other thing, and it kind of just shows that the NHL is still a little bit fucked up post COVID yeah. with the salary cap. Because the thing is, like if you look at the two massive trades the Rangers made, they couldn't yeah. wait until the deadline be, to pull those trades off because there was so many moving parts they had to figure out to just accommodate Kane and Tarasenko because yeah. of the salary cap. So. It was crazy. You know, you knew the trade was going to happen and it just was like, all right, well, is it going to, is it going to happen? Like it's, when is it going to happen? What's the financial thing? And they screwed themselves the Rangers a little bit because um, they just, they were playing shorthanded and you had the whole Keandre Miller thing. And that kind of ruined your chance to have an extra body. And then you waited, you know, you couldn't go and get Kane yet. And it impacts, you know, the ability to build chemistry, another day lost to have him on the team and stuff. It was kind of crazy. Again, to me, I didn't think I didn't think um I didn't think the Rangers needed Kane. I think the Rangers needed defensive help. I think their forward group, I mean, you got Tarasenko. It helps having Kane. Obviously, if he if he lights it up, he's got the playoff experience and has won a couple of uh, three cups, right? So scoring the game winning goal in one of them when no one else knew it went in except him, that was crazy. But yeah, it was, it was, that whole thing was really interesting. To me, just like being a Rangers fan and kind of like doing stuff on the Rangers and, and being close to a couple of people that are around the team every day. Yeah. Just because when they made the move for Tarasenko, it was kind of pleasing and disappointing because Tarasenko is a great player, but then 
it was like, well, there's no way they're getting Kane. And for me, Kane has always seemed destined to end up as a New York Ranger. He just like, he, he's, he's captain Buffalo. America. Yeah, he, he just seems perfect to, to play at MSG. And then yeah. when they trade that, I mean, it, it, I, I still get excited over the thought that he is a New York Ranger. They've obviously got kinks to work out. But that that whole that whole thing was crazy. But for me, that was just a, I think the Rangers almost thinking, look, everyone wants this. He wants this. Let's just do it and, and build a super team. And so I think that was an interesting way to go in terms of roster construction, where you said there were pro- there was probably other pieces they needed. I tell you one team that surprised me because, and they have to prove it still, but I really like what the Maple Leafs did. O'Reilly was a brilliant acquisition and, like if he's healthy, he'll be great in the postseason because he elevates his game. Getting Noachari was really sneaky. Good part of that deal. I, I did a piece on that. And I just like some of their depth moves like McCabe and uh Lafferty, the 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 speedy center from Chicago. I, I think again, until they go and win the playoff series, they're gonna be you know, they they don't deserve any any credit, but on paper, they actually made moves that made sense. Yeah, because I mean, normally they would be the ones going out and getting Kane for no reason at all. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, um, you know, I just watched Toronto play, and I think their biggest issue is just going to be they're so talented that they have to under they're they're overthinking. Like a lot of those defensive passes that got picked off were just brain dead plays, like throwing the puck to the middle, not going like you know Marner is to me Marner is their most important player. You know, Matthews would get the money. Um, Tavares obviously gets paid handsomely. But um, Mitch Marner does. Not only can he do individual. I think Mitch Marner is what people hoped Barzal would be. I'm not saying Barzal is a bad player at all. Don't get me wrong. Barzal is filthy, especially with the puck on his stick. But Marner just, there's an, Marner just is, there's an element to his game that no one else has. Maybe, okay, maybe McDavid. Similarly to that, but. I mean, you take Marner out of this team. Does Matthews score as many goals? He does no shot. And he and there was a time when too the the they needed help defensively. You know, on the power play, I think they, they put Marner on defense for the power play, like just to have him out there or whatever it was. They played him on defense for something. I'm trying to remember. But versatile, like if the Islanders get a guy like have Marner with Barzal here, maybe not on the same line because you don't need it. But holy game shit. over. It's just again watching Marner in person was crazy. It was just he made he went around three guys for a move, and Matthews has one of the sickest releases you'll ever see, and he's a big body too, and he could fight off players like a like Ovechkin does, where they're just big guys. But yeah, Toronto for me, it's just do you trust the goaltending? Samsonov's had a great year. Um, Murray, he just anywhere he goes, he gets hurt, and that's how his career is really gone. But I don't know if I trust their goaltending again. I don't trust their mind, like you said, until they get over that hump. I have no ability to believe that they'll do it again, though. I like, they went and got the moves they needed to get, not the names. And I think that was critical. And then to get O'Reilly back, um, you're talking, you have three number one centers on a team and Riley's your third line. Like that, again, centers are huge, especially in the postseason where you trust the guy to take it. And the defensive, again, Riley could score. Sure. Very smart defensively. And in the playoffs, you need guys like that. That, again, Achari, hardworking player. Lafferty, hardworking player. 
They're not just skill and finesse because that's what Toronto's been. Skill and finesse only. We don't care about goaltending defense. We'll just run, run up the score. And then you get to, again, that's what they do on the regular season. And then you get to the playoffs and it's like, oh, well, we don't play the defensive style we need to play and they lose. You look at those Penguins teams that won back-to-back cups. Yeah. Like center depth was, was the reason they won. Like Crosby, Malkin, but they had Benino and then uh, Mark Cullen. Yeah, Mark like, Cullen. They, played they, until he's like 40, yeah. Yeah, they had like, so they had four really good, you know, superstars on the first and second line. But then Nick Benino was, I think in his prime, was an incredibly important piece to that team. Like Washington, when they won, like Lars Eller, like yeah. Backstrom, like Knetsov, like they had, um, like Pete, and again, like as you said, when it comes to playoff hockey, it, it's the the fourth line guys. Like I always remember that that Capitals win over Vegas, like uh, Devante Smith Pelly. Yeah, or look at um one of the one of the uh, was it one of the Blackhawks um, Cup, David Boland scored yes. on a rebound from um, Ross Colton for Tampa, scored the game winning goal, and they won the cup. So it's just like, it's always those guys. It's never the stars that score those. I mean, yes, Patrick Kane did it, sure. But usually when you look back at those playoff series and the players that score those big defining moments, it's not the guy making the most money on the team. No, it's not it's the guy getting the most minutes. It's those guys that grind and take advantage. And, and that's kind of awesome about the sport. Too. Like, you, know, you look at basketball. Like, if the Lakers are going to win the, the, the finals, like – LeBron's going to have to be the best player. On the, there's not going to be an underdog guy or Clay Thompson or a Steph Curry. They're going to be those guys. Um, baseball, the same way. Your big time pitcher. I mean, yes, baseball, maybe, maybe a guy in the lineup, you know, eighth or ninth batter gets a big hit. Sure. But if they get the same playing time in baseball, you know, it's not like, you know, everyone's going to bat. Yeah. At the bottom of the order, maybe you don't get as many at bats, but you're in the field every inning. You're, you know, making those plays, but in hockey, it's like, listen, you're a fourth line, third line guy. You're going to play minimal time, especially in the playoffs. If you're not, if you're maybe a, a top heavy team, you know, they're going to have your shifts cup. When you get that chance to go on the ice and make a play and you make a big play, that's usually, that's usually how those cups are yeah. won. It's the depth. I mean, the Western conference is always going to be fun because you've got McDavid and, and McKinnon, but just look at that Eastern conference. Like you're going to have every team that goes out in the first round, they're going to be legit good teams. Any team. I think personally, let's like any team that makes the playoffs can win the cup. Yeah. Like, like can upset, like again, as as good as Boston has been, I'm not guaranteed that they're getting out of the first round. I think they will, but look at like Tampa and Columbus a couple of years ago. No one thought again, Columbus did have superstars where we can't, it's not like Columbus of this year where they're just terrible. Like they had a good team. But Tampa was Tampa. And I think it took Tampa to lose, you know, in order to win, they had to lose. Like that moment of them getting swept changed, I think made Tampa the, the team that they became. Like, let's say they Tampa doesn't and they, Tampa sweeps Columbus. Maybe I don't know if they win or how it works out, but Tampa and that group needed to get a wake up call that, hey, if you don't try, like anyone can beat you. And I think that's really why they won because they lost. They they yeah. suffered a monumental crushing. The worst way you could go out is get swept by a team that people had no business beating. All the pressure on you to win, and you came up short. And I think you look at this like again. I don't think the Islanders are winning the cup, and a lot would have to work out. But we talk about center depth. There's not that many teams around them. If they get Barzal back and have that 
four centers that not many teams going to the playoffs have that. Um, maybe, like I said, Toronto, and I guess Boston's deep too, but. I think, just, I think the Rangers, I think the Rangers are being slapped on in terms of that. That's yeah. They've got Sabanajad. Trocek's been, uh, Trocek has gone completely under the radar, but like he's, he's produced like 25, 26 more points than Ryan Strome did. Then he's yeah. winning like twenty five percent more on face offs. He does a little bit. Obviously, they've got they've got Heater who came alive. But yeah, I, I I just I kind of feel like as you said, the playoffs are a crapshoot. Nothing's guaranteed. That's I, why I we do... love this. That's why we love this sport. A yeah. Number, because... When's the last time I think I I think it was the Avs. I'm pretty sure they were the number one seed when they won. But besides that, like the St. Louis Blues are the perfect example. Halfway part All Star break, last place. Last place in the division or the league, they were done. And they went on a run, make the playoffs, and they win the whole damn thing. No other sport – I'm sorry, the, the, no other sport does that happen. No, the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I've said this, and I'll say this until I'm like 10 foot under the, the dirt and I've decomposed. <laughs> sorry, that's a graphic yeah, image you, but there Christ. you go. Um, Jesus Christ, yeah. The, the Stanley Cup playoffs are the best playoffs in – sport in the world yeah. because because the Bruins are going to have the best re- they are they're going to break every record they're going to be the best regular season team as you said if they got knocked out in the first round wouldn't surprise me no um I'm just here though I just I probably regret saying this depending on the outcome but I'm all here for a Rangers Devils first round matchup that we could also end up seeing somehow a Rangers Islanders second round matchup which would be oh that'd be just uh hockey fans especially in this area I don't the last time the Islanders played the Rangers in the playoffs was 94, the first round, or pretty – yeah, the, I think it was the first round. That's the year the Rangers won the Cup. So, you know, there is some historical relevance to it, but for someone that grew up in the 2000s, we've never seen this. I've never gotten to see that happen. And covering the team now and the sport, that's just going to be amazing for the players, for media, the fans, and – Again, who knows? Let's see if it happens. See if the Rangers get out of the first round. Let's see if the Islanders make the playoffs. Um, let's see what the Devils do. That'll be fun to watch. But yeah, you look at all these teams in this division, man. I, anyone could beat. I mean, you look at the West too, and let's not, you know, denounce the West. But like, you look at some teams and you go, are they legit? As good as Vegas has been, I don't, I don't, I'm not sold on Vegas. Yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced by that. Seattle, Seattle to me is gonna get bounced really quick because they don't have any goaltending. Edmonton for me is always all right. How far can McDavid bring them? I don't trust their goaltending at all. Um, LA is a brand new team. They're going to be fun to watch. Uh, Dallas is cool. I think Colorado will do damage. Minnesota is always one of those teams that doesn't really do well in the playoffs. Like they get there. Usually the Colorado would knock them out every year. And do I trust Mark Andre Fleury after what happened last year in the playoffs? I love Florida death. He's great for the sport, but I don't know if I trust, like there's a lot of teams where like, I don't look at this West and think any one of these teams could win. It's like the Twins of the Yankees. They have great regular seasons, and then they get to the playoffs and they get And then they play the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but so. you mentioned the three local teams there. So I, I've just done an article on, yeah. like, I think it's New York sports fans. We like I call it, like, we're, we're stuck in the polar vortex of sucking. Yeah. And we, and we almost, like, we almost crave the misery. Like, yeah. we're, we're actually animals. Like, we love being hurt. But... The scary thing is, is, is that if you look at it now, the way the chips have fallen, like yeah. New York could absolutely dominate the sports landscape for the next few years because the, the Rangers are in win now with yep. their moves. The Islanders, Islanders are in win, win now. now. 
The Devils, the way they're building their roster, they're going to be contending for a long time. The Jets are win now of Aaron Rodgers, if that ever gets confirmed. And the Giants are so they could be win now. Yeah, and I think any any of the four major sports in America, I think if you get into maybe not basketball, but I think if you get into the playoffs, anything's possible. And you got the Knicks and the Nets are the Nets. I don't know if the Nets are, and I'm not a huge basketball guy. I know the Knicks are are in a spot. The Knicks, I think the Knicks still need a piece or two, but they're going to be a fun team to watch. I think the Nets, they'll be they like got some good young pieces. I don't think yeah. they could win now, but they're in a much. They're not in a bad. Like if you're a Nets fan, it shouldn't be like, yeah, you lost Durant and Irving and Harden. That that blows. But yeah. they're not. I think like, it'll the be better for team. them long term. Is is as strange as that may sound, but. Um, the Yankees and I actually wanted to answer a baseball question once we yeah. once we finish. But the, the Yankees are, are made the playoffs every year; they're in win now. And then the Mets, obviously, with the spending power they've got and the, and the team they've put together, they're in win now. So we forgot we forgot Buffalo Sabers are going to be really good, and the Buffalo Bills are yeah. really good. So this is yeah. And you've got the time. Liberty in the WNBA and they've the got Riveters. Super team. The Riveters yeah. are good. Yeah. No, this MLS, you got, didn't NYCFC win a couple of years ago? You got yeah, the Red Bulls. Yeah, like, won the Red Bulls. So it, it could be a crazy couple of years. In you. Like, we're going to go from like. But they mimic Boston, what Boston did, where Boston won like every 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 championship in a span of a year or whatever it was. I hope so, because I'm fed up with Bostonians going on uh, about. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's the thing. Like, I've really enjoyed watching the Bruins play, but I don't think I can stomach another Boston win. I yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge fan of the announcing crew either. There, so. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think that's another one where we we gloss over that one because. Yeah, moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. What's your baseball question? Well, I want to ask you two more quick. Hockey. Yeah, you're good. I know we've been going a while, and I'll ask. No, you're good. I don't so, mind talking. Um, I just want to. So I've got a fun one in okay. terms of the draft. But before we touch on that, just yeah. let's put a bow on Conor McDavid because okay. sixty goals. 130 plus points now. I think we are way past the point now where, like, this guy is like in Gretzky air. Like, he is like when is all when all is said and done. Like, forget the cups. Although I think he'll end up playing himself in goal this postseason because he just seems to be like on a different level this year. He like we've not seen anything like it. What this what this guy does on a nightly basis is just like I, I I just can't like I like every time obviously because you know the West Coast like every time I wake up it seems that I'm waking up to yeah another clip of McDavid doing McDavid things and it's like my entire timeline is going to be made up of McDavid highlights at this point because the guy is a freaking superhuman highlight reel. He just it's crazy. He goes like in. 2020-21. I'm just looking up his stats now so I get the exact number. So he had 105 points in 56 games. All right, just think about that. Okay. And then last last year in 80 games, 123 points. He set a career high in goals with 44. He had hit 40 twice back in 2017-2018, 2018-19. And then this year in 72 games, 60 goals. So he set a new career high in goals. He's had 78 assists. He's one shy of a career high in assists. He's had 138 points in 72 games. Uh, what? And I guarantee you, out of the 60 goals, 30 of them are highlight real ones. 35? I mean, I'm not going to go back and watch. I mean, I will go back and watch all of them after the season. Someone will make a highlight reel. Uh, but, like, 
not only that is he's also won 51% of his faceoffs. He's playing 22-46 a night. You, you know that clip at the end of Rogue One where like Darth Vader goes like batshit crazy. Yeah, yeah. And he just like literally just beats the crap out of everyone. I, I want that to be McDavid in the playoffs. I just want him just to like what he's done this year. He's just like fuck everyone else. Fuck, fuck the, the fuck some of the the garbage I've got on my team, including in goaltending. I'm just going to put this team on my back and I'm going to drag him to a cup because I think if there's as much as as big as a team sport as hockey is, I think if there's one player who can will a team to a Stanley Cup on his own, it's McDavid. I mean, yes, he has Drysaddle, which really helps. But look at last yeah, year. I mean, probably we I, haven't mentioned him. I mean, Drysaddle is a freak forward. He just doesn't play a lick of defense, and that's kind of what would be the downfall. And that's why, we, again, that's why the sport's great. McDavid in another sport. Again, I'm comparing him to LeBron, but I think McDavid's just a better athlete. What he's able to do, LeBron, LeBron's LeBron. I'm not, I'm not a huge basketball guy, but like I said, LeBron in basketball can go to the championships because he's LeBron, and he can have the ball all the time and shoot. And he can truly win a championship on his own. But in hockey, we're talking about the greatest player right now in the sport, light years ahead of everyone else, probably when it's all said and done, is the greatest player to ever play talent-wide, speed-wide, skill-wise, may never have a Stanley Cup. And again, as sad as that would be for his career, that's the beauty of hockey. You could have a guy that's so freaking good and never win because it's not just a one. And again, he makes everybody around him better. He does. And it's not his fault that they haven't won. It's management's fault with the decisions they've made. But like, how crazy would it be a guy like that would never win a cup? And he's that freaking good at this. Like he, he is the, again, Gretzky, what Gretzky did in his time was absurd. I'm not, and I hate, I hate when people compare athletes from different generations. It bothers me so much because it's just a different It's not a fair comparison. Gretzky had all those goals. Sure. And all those points at a time where goaltenders were not amazing. McDavid's doing it at a time where goaltending's never been better. Like you, like it, you can't fathom like what, like, let's say McDavid had the skill that he had now. Again, that's why I hate doing this. You put him back then. Not, he's doing years better than what Gretzky did. But again, Gretzky grew up at a time where he got taught how to do a certain way and elevated because that's what he had to do. McDavid grew up knowing that you had to be significantly better than you were back then. Like, again, if McDavid grew up when Gretzky grew up, he's probably Gretzky because he doesn't have to be as skilled stick handling. He doesn't have to be shooting at the yeah. corners. He has to lift the puck. Same way if Gretzky grew up now like, and was in the league now, I was like, well, Gretzky playing now would be a third line forward. No, because Gretzky would have grown up knowing that that wouldn't have been good enough. Like Gretzky would have had to be skilled in the stick handling stuff. So I hate comparing, but McDavid by far, is going to be the best player to ever play until, again, in society and the way life works, there will always be someone better. Like Star Wars, right? Episode yeah. one, Phantom yeah. Menace. There's always going to be a bigger fish, right? Like that's Always going to be a bigger fish. But that is 100% true. doesn't matter what the sport is. Someone will be better than McDavid. I don't think it's going to be Bedard. I don't think it's going to happen for quite some time. But eventually, somebody will be better. But right now, we are getting stripped of watching McDavid in this prime because he plays on a Western team where like, he's yeah. got to be in prime time. That's why you need a guy like that in the playoffs because you need to be able to see him play. But yeah, that comparison thing always bugs me because it's like when people do the quarterback comparison, but it's like you can't compare a quarterback now to a quarterback 20 years ago because 20 years ago, they're getting their head ripped off like it's a Halloween film. And yeah. now, like, they're not allowed to be touched. Um, 
funny you mentioned Bidark. That was my final hockey question before we quickly do some baseball talk. I know we've been going yeah. a while now. Um, I just wanted to run. I saw a tweet the other day where it's like the Penguins at the moment have got more of a chance. Yeah, that was from, that was from my former boss. Yeah, yeah that's that's the one. Um, but I was looking at the the kind of lottery odds: um, yeah. Chicago, Montreal, Anaheim, San Jose. And there's another team in there, but it, I kind of found it a fun exercise in terms of like what would be what would be fun and what would be best for the league. For me, I think the NHL want him to go to a big market, so like Chicago, Montreal. That's my bet. With Chicago losing Kane and maybe Taves retires and everything that's gone wrong with that organization, to get a guy like Bedard to come in there, one. Changes it immediately because you could rebrand with Bedard as your star, eventual captain. He saves the franchise. It saves the franchise. I don't want him to go to Montreal for the sole fact they just had the first overall pick. And you just like, I, I don't, I, Montreal doesn't need him. I, I don't think Montreal, again, it would help, sure. Yeah. But yeah, they have stars there. Yeah. He's got to go to a team that need, like, again, as, as cool it would be for him to go to Columbus and be partnered up with Goudreau and Line. Again, really cool. But you look at this Blackhawks roster, and it's a joke. Again, they're tanking, so they're not going to have really high-level players. They got, but Bernard saves that franchise from becoming more. Again, you don't want to see the Blackhawks become a, a joke as much as they deserve it. With everything that happened with the Kyle Beach, I'm not. Again, truly, truly effed up. Truly effed up. I don't think they they were punished enough. I think everyone got off scot free. Even some of the leaders there that were involved in new. But if you're talking about a guy that could save a franchise and be not out West, like central time, whatever, I think that's huge for the sport because yeah. Chicago needs a new brand and Bedard would fit that perfectly. Yeah, they'd be Hoops, bad. They'd be bad for a couple of years, but that's part of it. Hoops fans don't come at me, but he would be to the Blackhawks what Michael Jordan was to the Bulls. Yeah. Like he, yeah. Michael Jordan saved the Bulls. But that, and I think Chicago sucking for the first two years of his career is going to be good for him. Because it it, high, it it lessens because he's going to come in with insane expectations. So um, I think if he went to Chicago and they sucked for a couple of years, I think that'd be good for him. Listen, uh, the, the Oilers sucked for a couple of years. Yeah, and they had McDavid. Didn't do, didn't do who was doing wonders. And, yeah, I just think like him going to San Jose or Anaheim's a waste because again, it's that West Coast and it's like another McDavid. But like how the, the skill though with him and Zegers would be sick. That, that, and Tavish. Yeah, that would be the one. Like, if he went to a West Coast team, I'd go Anaheim because of what you said. But is this all a part of Crosby's master plan? Yeah, this is his retirement gift. Like, he's going to finish his career like three, four, or however long he's got left. With if if, if it somehow worked out that the Penguins got the number one pick, it, it would be. I it wouldn't surprise me. Well, it would 100% save that franchise too because you have, you have a Tang, Malkin, and Crosby and everyone's like, oh, it'll be the last year, it'll be the last year. And I think when, when Crosby first came in, I'm pretty sure he played with um, – he played, did he play with Lemieux for a little or no? I don't know if he, they um, played together. I'm trying to think. But, like, he was that new young guy on campus and he had high expectations and I think sure with Bedard. Because, again, if, if Bedard comes to Chicago and Taves, are, Taves is gone and Kane's gone and we know Duncan Keith's already gone and the gold guys that were on the team when they won are gone, who is that leader for him? Yeah. Like, if he, if he went to Anaheim, you know, Anaheim is probably going to be there because he's under contract, so of course he'll be there. 
Like that's a leader. That's a guy that that's made it close. Never won again. He scored that big goal against the Rangers to advance to the uh, cup um, or the overtime win or whatever it was. But like, I feel like Chicago is missing the leader that Chicago is missing. Like Zach Wilson gets traded, drafted by the jets. And it would have helped Wilson if he had a leader quarterback where you could learn from. Right. And he doesn't have it. And we see how that impacted his career. Now Rogers might come in and, you know, he could learn from him now. Bedard goes to Chicago. I'm not saying there's no leadership in that room. There, there's definitely leadership probably sure in that room. I don't know, but there would be, I feel like there'd be lacking leadership there and they might throw him immediately. Like, Hey, do you want to be the captain in like a year or two? And I don't, again, I don't, I don't believe in the idea that people like McDavid to me, I don't think it's right to give a guy a captaincy that young one. Yeah. He hasn't been in the league long enough to learn what it takes to be a professional. Not saying he can't be, but, you know, did that impact the Oilers' ability? Like, does a 30-year-old want to be told from a 21-year-old what to do? Yeah. That hasn't – again, if he's 24 or 25 and has played in the league for five years and has shown to be a good leader, some people are like, oh, Matt Barzal should be the captain. Why is the captain? First off, Lee is a heck of a captain. Um, but, like, you need guys to – even Barzal will tell you, Barzal has matured every year he's been in the league. When he first came in, you know, if he didn't get a penalty called, he's throwing his hands up. We saw the penalty he took against – I want to say he cross-checked uh, Jean Ruda in the playoffs, got um, kicked out of the game late in that game. It was a throwaway game at, in the playoffs. And, you know, it's, you know, you need to experience losing first off because guys like McDavid never lost. Yep. I mean, yeah, they lost games and stuff, but, you know, you go like Bedard. Bedard has been dominant at the regular season level in juniors and at the international level. Uh, again, back to football, Lawrence, um, the Jaguars. I don't think he ever lost a game. <laughs> I, like yeah, high school, he, he never just... lost a game. In college, he never. I don't think he lost a game, right? Unless he lost, you know, he lost to Clemson um, in the he, championship he, there. But like, he lost less than five games, and then you're then all of a sudden you're putting them in a in a league that is incredibly tough on an organization that loses. does nothing but lose. Yeah, and you got to see how losing affects the player. And again, David now, yeah, of course, clear captain. But immediately, it doesn't need to happen. These guys are so young. Like, give it the reason these guys are veterans here that veterans wear A's. Like, give the seat to a guy that earned it. I'm not saying these guys can't be captains, but, you know, at that time when McDavid was there, there were probably other people that, you know, should have been the captain. I get it. Clearly, it worked out. And McDavid's a McDavid, but the best player doesn't have to be your captain. There's a reason why like Anders Lee's not the Islanders' best player. Uh, Jacob Truba is not the Rangers' best player. Um, Kyle Oposo is not the Sabres' best player. No. The Devils, Nico Hiche is not their best player. But you look at leaders and who's a leader, and everyone complains like Truba shouldn't be the captain. First off, I don't think fans should have a right to complain about who the captain is or not. That's voted on by the team. When uh, Barry Trotz tells a famous story, when he took over, there was the summer Tavares left. The Islanders needed a captain. He asked every player on the phone who they thought should be the new captain. Everyone said Lee. Oh, Lee can't be the captain. It's got to be Barzal. It's got... You have no say. You're not in the room. It's, it's the same thing with Truba. There was a lot, like yeah. there was a lot made, and it came out that when um, Gerard Glant came in. And he was asking about captain and the player, and they decided not to name one. But yeah. he said that when he was having those conversations his first year, they were saying it should be Jacob Truba. 
And then when they made the decision, it was a unanimous decision. And I think Truba gets a lot of, of hate. I, I don't think he's nearly as bad as people make out. But he I, I, can't, the edge, so. I can't remember what game it was, but there's a game where he absolutely murders someone on the ice and then launched his helmet. They've only gone up since then. Yeah, they've had like mixed results in between, but yeah. their season was at a crossroads and he... He, he did. He done the ass. Um, There's the reason he wears the C. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, look, I think if Bedard goes to Chicago or whoever, they're going to need to get like veterans. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Um, let's finish with a couple of quick baseball yeah. questions before we go. Um, did you watch the WBC? I watched a little bit of it again. My mind is so – it's not. I love baseball. I'm one of those guys growing up that I could watch 162 games and – Three hours a night. Yeah. I love every second. I could watch yeah. a Pirates Reds game on a Wednesday. I yeah, don't know if I, that's I, probably I a sickness at that over point. The summer, especially when hockey's done, I have MLB Network on all day and I'm watching whatever's on. Yeah. My cousin has the MLB at bat app that he shares the password with me. Appreciate that. Shout out to you, uh, Adam, there. But um, no, I love baseball. Just the, again, World Baseball Class is happening at a tough time, but I, do, I did see highlights. I saw how much it meant to a lot of these guys, which is really cool. And then everyone complains about, you know, well, they're getting hurt, and I understand that. I kind of wish this was at the end of the year or like but, November. But look, look what happened today with Reese Hoskins. Yeah, like he—he's. It, it sounds like he might be done for the year. That was spring training, so I—I I, yeah, Brandon I Nimmo is spring training too. You can get hurt anywhere. It just uh, yeah, so happens I, that I fight back against those because injuries can happen anyway. And with the Edwin Diaz one, he wasn't even playing. He was jumping up and down celebrating. Yeah, he could have been. That, that could have happened. First off, if he got hurt that badly, jumping up and down. I'm assuming there was more, there was injury there that he didn't know about already. So he could have, that could have happened yeah. pitching on the mountain in spring training or in the weight room and he, he stepped wrong and that's it. So I, and I get it. Like, okay, you can look at like the Altuve one. That gets his by pitch in the spring training game, same result. People just like to hate and complain. And again, I get it. If you're an Edwin Diaz fan or a Mets fan in general and you're watching and he gets hurt, and you're like, Damn it. Like, personally, if I'm a fan, I'd rather see him to get hurt in spring training than doing that because at least they're preparing yeah. for their season. It, it sucks. Like, I'm a Mets fan, and like Edwin, I think Edwin Diaz is the closest thing we were going to get to Mariano Rivera oh, in terms yeah. of that star closer with the, with the, the narco trumpets. But I'm a big believer in two things can be the same, and it sucks. But also, it wasn't the WBC's fault, and it was a great tournament. And I mean, it, it was as great as it was every single game it was made worthwhile with that Otani trout ending. Yeah. That, you... that, oh, that, so I watched that. Um, oh, that is amazing for baseball. And the fact that Otani won that pitch, I mean, won the battle and they won the whole thing, but that last pitch for a Japanese player to take down the best player in baseball, you could argue it. I still think trout's the best um, teammate. Like it, that's that you don't get that moment. In any other sport, you don't. Like four pitches in a row, he he went over 100 miles an hour. And But it's 3-2, bottom of the, was it, bottom of the ninth, right? Yeah, three, top, three, uh, two, top of the ninth. Uh, top of the ninth. 3-2, top of the ninth, the championship on the line. Like, that's, if there was everything to be scripted, that's it. And yes, the Americans would have loved if Trout launched one. Um, But the fact that, like, teammates got to do that, on that big of a stage, and again, how big you, you I listened to the American uh, broadcasting call it, and then you listen to the Japanese broadcast, and it's like Japanese won a war. Like they won, like, there's no words. And plus, oh, the stadiums were sold out. It was just amazing to see. 
and like Otani like doubled his Instagram followers. But I think what you've got now, and the the reason why I really liked it is that like because it took place in spring training, there were meaningful games. I think all it's done is build the excitement for opening day. So I think the, there's going to be real momentum going in now. And the players again, spring you can't mimic spring like you can't mimic actual baseball in spring training. No. Pitchers aren't giving it their all. Uh, the new rules people are testing out. All the players that played in their World Baseball Classic who now feel good about their game, that is a baseball situation. Yes, they didn't do the new rules in that or anything, but like they're more ready than the guys doing spring training, in my opinion. Oh, for sure, yeah, and I, and I think you'll, I think we'll see that come out in day. I think you'll there, you'll see a massive difference. Um, right, one Yankees question before we go. Yep. Volpe, I've loved watching him. Like, so I'm doing. Um, uh, we're just about to launch a load of features for the website. And one of those is, is the baseball players. I can't wait to watch in 2023. I've got a load, but Volpe's one of them. Should he make the opening day roster? Yeah. I think your best players have to play. I don't think the Yankees are at a point where like you can't throw out um, Isaiah Kiner for left. You just can't, you can't, he's not good enough. And this guy Volpe, there's going to be a lot of pressure because they missed out on so many key free agents. If they were involved, you never know, but they missed out on so many guys because they believe in this kid. And first off, I think he's going to be great. Dominguez too. Dominguez. Like, those Dominguez. are the two, like the two headed monster that is meant to be the future. Yeah. Jason Dominguez is great, but you also have Oswaldo um, Cabrera. You have yeah. uh, Oswald Peraza. Like you have guys, but this kid Volpe, if you truly believe that he's going to be the guy, give him the shot. I remember when Jeter left. Well, we already talked about Jeter and how he struggled to start. That D. Gregorius comes over to take over for Jeter, and he was garbage to start. Then figured it out and became a fan favorite. Uh, Glaber Torres, as much as he struggled at shortstop, became a, you know, a strong player before his bat kind of disappeared and it came back. And now we don't know what he's going to be. Give the guy the chance. He's not. There's no. It's not like you don't have a, a superstar shortstop on the team. It's not like a like, let's say Correa, Correa and Pena were on the same team, which they were. Correa leaves. Pena now becomes a legitimate superstar in one season because they gave him a chance. But like, it's not like um, Volpe has to fight off Derek Jeter to get the spot, or fight off a Correa, or fight off a Trey Turner. Well, I, I was just, I was just looking. There's no one at, ahead of him. No, and I was just looking at um, some stats there to make sure I was right. But like Pete Alonso, there's debate over whether he should have been brought up as early as he was. He, he was brought up to start the year, it's rookie year, he hit 53 homers. Like if, yeah. if if the kid's good enough, play him. I don't get this whole like hold him out. Like like the, the Oreos have got loads of talent. If they're good enough, play him. There's no one else there, so play him. <laughs> and like and like they owe. And this is like a selfish thing to say, but they owe Judge to have their best guys out there with him. Judge committed, to, obviously got a ton of money for it, but Judge committed to his career being a Yankee. So if you're not going to go out and go get those superstars, again, you still have guys like Donaldson on this roster, Hicks who have struggled to, again, Hicks should never play again, but that's my opinion for the Yankees. Um, Donaldson's Donaldson. Um, you have young talent. I mean, Judge made his career because he got called up in the Baby Bombers. You had Judge, Torres, Sanchez at the time, Tyler Austin, Greg Bird. They got their chance and they went from the Yankees not being close to a playoff, like everyone thought they were done. To get, getting them in, they get into the playoffs that year. I'm trying to remember. I think they did, but whatever. They made it exciting to watch to the end. And you owe Judge to play your best players. And if Volpe is your best, you know, Dinguez is farther off because he's like, what, not even 20 yet? Like, yeah. the guy's still a baby. But Volpe has shown at every level that he's been at that he could do it. Let him do it. 
and, and it's not like it's not like he's been bad in spring training. It's it's one thing if he'd struggled in spring training, okay, he doesn't look ready, but like, like he looks ready. Yeah, he looks totally. ready to go. So he's got to play. If he's not on the opening day roster, it's a big mistake. And that that's the thing, right? Like normally hockey season ends. Yeah. Um, and obviously the playoffs are coming up. It's like always like sad, but I think like I'm so excited about baseball this year because I just think you always say everything happens for a reason. And I actually think the lockout was probably the best thing that could happen to the sport. And we see it, we saw it with the NHL, like the NHL was yeah. better after the lockout. But I actually think the, the sport is in a better place. There's so much young talent. And these rule changes, I actually really like. The the pitch clock's been really good. I love it, yeah. Um, and I think already we've heard about the pitch clock less and less. So I think by the time we get into like June, it It'll won't be, be a fine. thing. Yeah. And, and I actually think, so I'm putting some predictions, I think we're going to see yeah. 50 stolen bases this year with with those bigger bases. And yeah, I, I love, love that, that aspect of the game. Yeah, and I, I love the, the, the tactical battle that goes into baseball and I love action on the base paths like the speed um the only downside to the bigger bases is they look like pizza boxes so every time i watch a baseball game i want pizza but (laughs) that's that's the same anyway but i i just think it's going to be uh a really good season i'm 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 looking forward to watching it unfold i we talked about how i love watching baseball because to me every everyone's like oh baseball is boring but if you really if you're a diehard baseball fan every a two and one count and a one and two count are so far different the way you have to go about the game stealing bases i was a kid when i played baseball i wasn't the best hitter but i walked a lot got on base a lot and i'm fast so i was i loved how exciting it is stealing bases and running i love to see the hit and runs and the safety squeeze bunts you don't see anymore and and the double steals like that's cool like when it's just about like my if you're watching quick pitch and this has been something that's been on my mind for a while the last 10 years or whatever is you're watching the highlight shows and every highlight's the same thing. You're watching each game, four home runs, four home runs, three home runs. Night maybe a nice. Ca- I am. A, I love fielding. I was a second baseman and outfielder. I'm, if there was a designated fielder position, that was me. I could shag five balls and do that for, for days. But watching a watching a highlight show and seeing someone hit a ball off the wall or go the opposite way and drive in three or hit a line drive on the on the line, like that's what I love to watch. And it's sick. It's getting sickening just watching these highlight shows and it's not the highlight shows fault. That's what's happening in baseball, but where it's just home run, home run, home run. Like, I don't like it. It's like, it's boring to me. That's when it gets boring when it's the same thing where it's like, all right, a big strike, a a team hits four home runs in the game, but 12 total strikeouts. It's like, that's awful to me as a fan who loves the little stuff of baseball. I'm the same. And like, I think I've seen some people say, well, like they don't like the pitch clock because like the beauty of baseball is being there for hours. You can still do that. Like, and the benefit is it's going to be a more entertaining product. But I think yeah. the combination of the, the the bigger bases and the ban of the shift, not only are yeah. we going to see a lot more action on the base paths and like people like Trey Turner who've got speed to burn in terms yeah. of stealing bases, but you're going to see a lot more um, like infield hits. You're going to you're going to see a lot more doubles and triples. And then also defensively, players like Lindor are going to be able to like make highlight real plays that GE used to make. Yeah. And I think that's only going to be good. For, and as you said, so I think hopefully we're going to get to the point this year where those highlight reels are less about home. And don't get me wrong. Home runs are great, but I think they'll, yeah. be, they'll go back to being even greater if there's less of them. And we'll see more, more 
varied action, which is what the sport needs. Oh, I, I could not agree more. Well, I'm going to let you go, my friend, because we've been going for well over an hour. I, I think we, me, and you could break records for like yeah, we could the world's make, longest make consecutive make David records. Yeah, you know. Um, but no, great to have you on. Congrats on the new gig. I'm looking Appreciate forward to it. to um, seeing your work, and um, we'll get you on again around playoffs time. Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. Sounds good, my friend. Thank you very much. 